This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. Welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 186. Thank Hello. you so much for listening. Bienvenidos all the bitches and Buiti Binafi, everyone. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are othered and the victims because contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, white dudes. What? No, you're wrong, news. The, <laughs> these crimes rarely get any public attention because the news is a racist allegedly and we are wendy and beth she's wendy a black latinx woman and i'm beth and i just happen to be white and she is an ally take notes take notes (laughs) (laughs) we're not journalists investigators or psychologists just a couple of gals interested in true crime also the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions now who are we talking about today, Beth? Well, today we're talking about the murder of 28-year-old Monique Ba in Minneapolis on the last day of the year in 2019. She was lured, kidnapped, then murdered. The case took a turn and had even more people involved in the crime than originally thought. So this one's a little bit different. Usually we have more victims than perpetrators. Today we have more perpetrators than victims. Whoa. Oh yeah. my gosh. Talk <laughs> about a flip it and reverse it. I also wanted to mention that this script was researched and written by Minnie, but this is going to be her last one. She's going to be moving on over to editing. So if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> when you research these Crimes, you're spending an entire week or sometimes two totally mm-hmm. immersed in everything horrible. Yeah. This was taking a toll on Minnie's mental health. And as you know, we're all for taking care of yourself and, yes. and your mental health. Absolutely. So we totally get that and we appreciate that Minnie reached out and said something about it. Mm-hmm. And editing is hopefully be a better fit for her. It's less immersive and can be really fun. So uh, we're yeah. hoping she'll enjoy it. We're hoping she will. And we're glad she's still part of the team. Yeah. Fruit Loops, unite! Boom. <laughs> um, so we love you, uh, Minnie, and just have been grateful for everything you've brought to the yeah. pod and can't wait yeah. for this next phase. So before we get into it, how you doing? I'm doing really good. I got some good work-related news this week. So I know. Uh, yeah. I'm so excited for you. Are you going to buy me a car? Oh. <laughs> I might kidding. buy me a car. <laughs> but that means I'm going to be really, really busy for the next couple of months. So we might have to drop a few bonus episodes instead of uh, regular uh, we, we're working it out we're working we'll, it out yeah mm-hmm. we'll have we'll still have things for you to listen to every thursday just not really sure how how uh how it's gonna work out with yeah and and you're really busy too so yeah it's just been nuts 
It's been nuts. Oh my gosh. 2023. New year, new me. Well, yeah. can we slow it down mm-hmm, a tad? Mm-hmm. But uh, like we said with, um, you know, it's it, everybody's kind of transitioning into new stuff. The show's not going anywhere. No. We no. just want to take care of ourselves, right? Yes. And I don't want to burn myself Extending, out. <laughs> yeah, is a good way to jump off the deep end. Yeah. So we don't want that for Beth or anybody we care about. Amen? Amen. So I'm very excited for you. Thank you. You leveled up, uh, like Sierra says. <laughs> And you look healthy, wealthy, and moisturized. I can't, I, I can't even believe it. The change was immediate. Uh, <laughs> so I love that for you. Well, thank you. Well, let's get into some listener letters, shall we? Let's do it. Uh, hello, yeah. angels. Thank Ooh. you. What's in the bag, Beth? Well, guess what? What? The angels gave me an empty fucking bag again. No. What? I thought the bag was full from my break. Oh, man. Oh, man. (laughs) All right, y'all. Well, uh, get at us, please. Send us your voicemails and your lovely emails. DMs, all the things. You know where to find us. Also, though, we got a new Patreon named Nancy. Yes. Le yes. Nancy. Well, Le Nancy. Nancy. Oui, oui. Bonjour, mi mons Nancy. <laughs> I have a little attitude for you. Okay. <laughs> oh, make me over. Nancy's a fruity. <laughs> we walk and study. And true crimeology. Hey, <laughs> so glad you could make it. Yeah, now you really made it. Hey, so glad you are fruity, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Nancy. Yeah, thank you. Oh, my. You know what? That one took me a long time to find. So, Nancy. Well, I mean, yeah, because there's so many songs with the name Nancy in it. Mm -hmm. I was like, that'll be too cliche. I got to give it my all. So I've been thinking about this for days. So now you know. You got a little bit behind the scenes how I come up with this stuff. So (laughs) let's take a quick break, and then we're going to get into the story when we come back. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events 
that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. And we're back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Today, we're going to tell the story about the murder of Monique Ba, a black woman who was killed while she was working. The men who murdered her were Cedric Lamont Berry and Barry Alexander Davis, two black men living in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So one has the last name Barry and the other has the first name Barry. So this is going to get confusing. Uh, let's call them, hmm, I don't know. How about Double Barry? surprise (laughs) you know what but that sounds too nice there's no nefariousness or um (laughs) malice behind a double berry surprise i'm sorry uh that sounds like something you get down at the old brewsters which is a local southern georgia ice cream shop Ah. that has the best ice cream I have ever tasted in my life. Nice. Fuck you, Cold Stones, and fuck you, <laughs> Double Berry Surprise. <laughs> what do you think would be in the Double Berry Surprise flavor? <laughs> well, first of all, I think it is a problem to mix fruit <laughs> and ice cream. I think it should be against the law, and people should go to jail for it. No, oh boy. no, I, and That's I a don't very think, strong opinion. I do. I am sorry. <laughs> I have been waiting to say this for the past 38 years. I also don't think that you should mix berries and fruit with chocolate. I said it. Okay. I said right. it. I'm sorry. And so that's what I'm picturing. Well, I guess I'm with going a... to jail. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I don't even know if we can be friends or continue this episode. I, that's what I think of when double with double berry surprise. What do you think? <laughs> so I was thinking it would have like, I don't know, horrible things in it. <laughs> It asphalt is horrible. And Dark fruit, <laughs> asphalt, <laughs> asbestos, asbestos, yeah. <laughs> all that, all that chemical that they that busted out of that train in Ohio would oh, be yeah, in, yeah. in there. Oh yeah, yeah, in there. And, yeah, and uh, just a surprise in your face. Yeah, just not good. Not, not good. good. Not good. Well, tell us what you what your double berry surprise would be made of. <laughs> um, so, uh, oh man. So let's. Uh, so double berry surprise is going to get very awkward to say during yeah. the show yeah. but um maybe we could call them um double berry i was thinking double buried or berry squared yeah uh it's still too long i think yeah, yeah. how about bear bear like our favorite hmm. black comedian from the early 2000s who was so large that you had to say his name twice bruce bruce um <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds it sounds more like i'm thinking also care bear yeah. uh but yeah, they are not very caring. Not, not like that at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> but Bear Bear it is. Okay. Okay. Got it. All, all right. right. Let's get into some stats. Uh, Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> this uh, afternoon's stats. <laughs> I 
You know, I the jury's out because I'm undecided. So let's get into it. The victim in this case was Monique Ba, who was a beautiful Black queen mm, inside yeah. and out by all accounts. And her life was taken on New Year's Eve 2019 while she was at work. And she was survived by two little girls, her partner, her mother, and other surviving loved ones who cared for her. So rest in power to Monique. And regarding gun violence, I just wanted to throw out a couple stats. Communities of color, I hope you're not surprised by this, are disproportionately um, suffer from high rates of gun violence due to lack of thoughtful, meaningful investment in communities of color and weak gun laws. And um, also the fact that um, gun manufacturers can do whatever the fuck they want. Also, gun violence is a problem in the United States. And we are just a violent. (laughs) You're not going to believe this. But, uh, you know, there's an old saying that black people say how you got them is how you have to keep him implying like if you got a man by having threesomes and being the side chick that you can expect those things that in the future yeah right, right. and the beginning of the united states its inception was violent and yeah. it's not um it continues to this day so yeah young black americans ages 15 to 34 experience the highest rates of gun homicides across all demographics wow. and they are 10 times more likely than white americans to die by a gun homicide in 2020 over 12,000 black americans were killed by guns compared with 7200 white americans and remember that black Black people are only 13% of the population. Black people are also three times more likely to be fatally shot by police. Guns are used in more than half of all femicides and disproportionately used against Black women. And in this context, when I'm referring to Black women, I'm also including Black femmes and those who identify as women as well. Right. Right. So uh, now it's time to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is Minneapolis, Minnesota at the end of the year 2019. Native Americans have been living along this part of the Mississippi Riverfront for over 12,000 years. Prior to European invasion, the Dakota Sioux and the Ojibwe people inhabited the region. The name for Minneapolis is derived from the Sioux word mini, meaning water, and the Greek polis for city. Ah. Water city. Wow. It sounds so refreshing. I'm thirsty. (laughs) Now, Minneapolis lies on the Mississippi River near the junction with the Minnesota River. With adjoining St. Paul to the east, it forms the Twin Cities metropolitan area. Suburban communities include Columbia Heights, Brooklyn Park, Plymouth, St. Louis Park, Richfield, and Bloomington. Minneapolis is Minnesota's most populous city and spreads out on a relatively level plain. In 1904, Minneapolis Park Board Superintendent Theodore Wirth promised to put a park within six blocks of every city resident. That's pretty cool. That is cool. As a result, within city limits are 22 lakes and lagoons and 170 parks. That's awesome. Whoa, they got lagoons too? They got Uh, lagoons too. Yeah. Wow, that that. is nice. Look at them with their lagoons. Wow, still not going to live there though. Too (laughs) cold. (laughs) Europeans first came into the Minneapolis area in 1680. The first notable establishment by Europeans in the Minneapolis region was Fort Snelling, which doubled as a military outpost. The fort attracted fur traders 
trappers, merchants, and hunters. The land east of the Mississippi River became known as St. Anthony Falls after the only natural major waterfall on the Mississippi River. Also known as Owamni, or falling water in Dakota, Hmm. it provided energy for dozens of mills along the riverfront. The lumber industry initially flourished in the area surrounding Minneapolis, but eventually the timber was exhausted and the loggers moved farther west. That's what they do. Use up everything. Does that mean they cut down the entire forest? I don't know about that, but they just probably wasn't enough to to make it profitable for them anymore. And that's what they do. They use everything up and then move on. Oh, yeah. Wow. The world is a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So the land west of the river became known as Minneapolis. St. Anthony and Minneapolis functioned as two separate cities for nearly 15 years before they merged in 1872 as Minneapolis. The Washburn Crosby Company Mill, now known as General Mills, and the Pillsbury Company Mill were the two largest flour mills in the United States when they were built in the 1870s and 1880s. Many small breweries popped up along the riverfront as the city grew because there was easy access to water and nearby caves made it possible to keep the beer chilled. Oh, that's kind of rad. Yeah. So in the early 20th century, restrictive housing covenants limited Black people from living in certain areas. As a result, three Three distinct Black neighborhoods developed in Minneapolis. By the 1930s, with an influx of Black people from southern states who were moving north during the Great Migration, Black folks had begun to move to South Minneapolis. And from the 1930s to the 1970s, a thriving Black community flourished on the city's south side. The Minnesota Spokesman Recorder, the oldest continuously operated Black newspaper in Minnesota, was founded in 1934 by Cecil Newman. In 2015, the Spokesman Recorder celebrated its 80th anniversary and was designated a historic landmark. That's cool. That is really cool. I'm trying to remember what the, there was a Black newspaper in Phoenix, too. Oh, was there? I think it's called, I want to say it's the Informant. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of major cities have them um, since, you know, forever. And, um, you know, newspapers are hard to stay in business. So that's pretty cool that they have lasted. In 1959, construction of an interstate highway raised more than 50 square blocks and divided Southside in half. Wait a minute. Not again. They used again. a highway? Yep. Oh, again. my God. Same old story. Same old. <laughs> the closing of the last local school, Central High School, in 1982 destroyed the neighborhood's cohesiveness. All of the Black-owned businesses closed except for the spokesman recorder. The demographics of the neighborhoods changed as both Black and white populations decreased and the Latinx population increased. The population of Minneapolis grew steadily from the late 19th to mid-20th century, reaching a peak of approximately 520,000 in 1950. The number of people then began declining until about 1990 when the city's population basically stabilized. At the same time, the population of the Twin Cities Metropolitan, it's italicized, that's why I say it like that. (laughs) Metropolitan area increased, fueled by the movement of thousands from cities to suburbs. So, some of the first immigrants to settle in Minneapolis were French Canadian, Nordic, and Scandinavian Europeans. And throughout the city's history, the great majority of its residents have been of European ancestry, which explains a lot. Yeah. Mm But that proportion has been decreasing, and the number of Black people, Asians, and Latinx people has been growing. 
More recently, prominent Latinx, Southeast Asian, and Somali communities have developed around the city. Black residents now constitute roughly one-fifth of the population. That is incredible. It is yeah. a really diverse city. When, mm-hmm. when my brothers went to college there, shout out to Ilhan Omar. Woo-woo. Um, Yeah, it is It is a pretty diverse place, but it yeah. unfortunately is also full of culture and full of music as a result of its diversity, but it is very, very very, have I said very enough times? Segregated. <laughs> um, greats like Prince and Lizzle called Minneapolis home and also friends of the show, The Smokes, the band, the black rock band. They're in Minneapolis. Was born in Minneapolis. Nice. They left though after George Floyd was murdered because oh. it was just too difficult and traumatic. Yeah. But Monique Ba was taken from this world at the end of 2019, just before the pandemic, just before the murder of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis Police Department, and just before the eruption of the Black Lives Matter movement. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. So now we're going to talk about Cedric Berry and Barry Davis's early lives. What do you got, Beth? Well, we don't have much information about Bear Bear's early lives. Mm-hmm. Cedric Berry was born on July 25th, 1978, and he was from Minneapolis. Barry Davis was born on March 16th, 1979, and was from Brooklyn Park. 
the two are related by marriage. Barry Davis's sister, Shantae, married Cedric Barry. Uh-huh. So they're brother-in-laws. Okay. They're brother-in-laws and they're about the same age. Yeah. So now let's get into the timeline. On December 31st, 2019, New Year's Eve day, 28-year-old realtor Monique Latrice Leanna Baugh, a black woman and a mother of two young daughters, left home to show a house that she was advertising for sale in Maple Grove, a suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Monique lived with her partner, 29-year-old musician John John Mitchell Momo, a black man who went by the artist name Momo. He was actually an up-and-coming hip-hop recording artist and producer, and even had a record with Nipsey Hussle, released in 2019, called West Side. He also performed at South by Southwest, and in 2019 signed a record deal. But the deal turned sour before the year ended. The couple had two daughters, and they were one years old and three years old, named Legacy and Legend, which are... um, Beautiful names. Yeah. Uh, Monique was a beautiful person inside out. People loved being around her, and she was proud of you know, this career she had as a realtor and providing for her family and she was finding success and leveling up all the wonderful things. And can yeah. I take a moment to say that she is absolutely stunningly yeah. beautiful. Model, I beautiful. mean, yeah, yeah, goals. Um, So if you get the chance, you should look up pictures of her just to have an appreciation for what's been lost. And there are really beautiful maternity pictures of her on, I think it's Facebook and Instagram and also on Momo's social media too. And the young couple were living you know, the dream. They had a young, beautiful family and growing careers and were surrounded by love. And I was thinking, if I was an alien and I came down to this ghetto rock (laughs) to find out what is the American dream? I would like seek photos of Monique Ba and and her partner and her kids. They, They were doing it. Yeah. So back to when Monique went to the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So earlier that day, Monique had received a call on her personal cell phone from a woman named Lisa Polosky, who said that she was interested in viewing it. The call was a bit unusual because Monique did not usually get calls on her cell phone that involved work. And she wasn't sure exactly how the woman had gotten her cell phone number. But she, you know, she was a professional and we're trying to get that coin, trying to get that bag and had a great work ethic. So she went ahead and set up the showing with the woman. John, who was there when she received the call, also thought it was odd, but agreed that she ought to try to sell the property if she could. The fact that the caller was a woman probably played into their um, decision making. Decision making. Right. And John kissed her goodbye, staying home with the children while she went out. Monique arrived at the advertised house around 3 p.m. on New Year's Eve to wait inside for Lisa Pulowski. A few minutes later, a U-Haul truck backed into the driveway and two black men came to the door. These men were later identified as Cedric Berry and Barry Davis. After she let them in, as realtors often do, yeah. they grabbed her, then forcibly walked her into the back of the U-Haul truck, bound her with duct tape, then drove her to another location. And one of the men also took her keys from her. And I hadn't thought about being a realtor as dangerous, especially. Oh, yeah. But oh, my God. God, yeah, I, it is I, dangerous. It yeah. is. I had no idea. I really hadn't thought of it. You just call these people and they show you a house or whatever, but they right. 
have to kind of vet you. That's why. Yeah. Every time they show a house, it's a, you know, could be a dangerous situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My my, our realtor out here said, you know, she was really nervous about meeting with me too early in the process or like even giving me rides to see to see houses. Um, They don't do that anymore because of the danger. Like, right. They remember when they used to just drive you around around house to house. Yeah. Yeah. They don't do yeah. that anymore because of how dangerous it is. And wow. I had no idea. So yeah. what a shame, though. Yeah, it is. So at about 5.30 p.m. that day, some witnesses noticed a U-Haul truck in an alley off of Humboldt Avenue North in Minneapolis, close to where Monique and John lived. Not long after that, the unnamed witnesses heard gunfire and called police. When police responded, they found that John had been shot multiple times, but he was able to tell them what had happened. He said that a man wearing a black colored mask with only one hole for both eyes had entered the locked front door using a key. He said the man fired multiple rounds, wounding John, who then fled upstairs where his one-year-old daughter Legacy was sleeping. John shouted at the man, quote, I'm dead already. My babies are here, unquote. So yeah. John and uh, and Monique's three-year-old daughter, Legend, was also home at the time. The shooter left without harming the children, fortunately. And John survived his injuries with gunshot wounds in the groin, shoulder, and below the heart. Though that could have gone way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's lucky. He's very mm-hmm. lucky. Although the children were not physically hurt, we're wondering, you know, how you could recover from experiencing something like that as a child. Yeah, very traumatic. Yeah. yeah. About an hour later, a gunshot detection device called a shot spotter tipped police off to gunshots fired, this time on the 1300 block of Russell Avenue North. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Culture Corner with <laughs> Wendy and Beth. I knew I'd heard of this shot spotter somewhere, and I thought it was like the Jetsons. Like, it's never going to happen. It's just something that, that is a fantasy. But right. no, it's not. And turns out, it ain't shit. So this shot spotter technology is not as great as you think. It's just a bunch of microphones that pick up what the algorithm determines our gunshots. And right. remember who's making those algorithms? White people who've never heard a gun or <laughs> been in a black and brown neighborhood before. Anyway, I digress. So the police and first responders, in theory, can go and save the day. But there are issues. Oh, yeah. First of yeah. all, this yeah. technology is only being implemented in black and brown areas that are already overly policed and police presence and police technology have done nothing to make those neighborhoods safer and fix the problem. It also poses privacy risks because it's a bunch of microphones, (laughs) whatever they want to put them that can pick up conversations, cheat codes, my Netflix password. How dare you? (laughs) And the evidence picked up by the shot spotters can be used in court against defendants. Oh my God. Yeah, I don't know if that's true in every jurisdiction, but in some it is. And there are also, what about a false alarm? Like if a car backfires, have you ever been poor and had a car that does that? I have. Or a science experiment goes wrong. You never know. Resulting in unnecessary contact with law enforcement in vulnerable, otherized, and disenfranchised communities. And in this particular case with Monique, police were alerted of those gunshots, but they didn't really save anyone or stop any crimes from happening. So what are we talking? 
talking about? <laughs> yeah, so I only knew about ShotSpotter from the TV show Pretty Hard Cases that I shouted out a while back. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The characters, at least in one story, they're constantly being called out to this one community for no reason because of this ShotSpotter stuff. Oh. Yeah. It is, of course, a black community. Aha! Yeah. See? Yeah. You see? <laughs> <laughs> it's in a TV show, so it's true. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know what's funny is we thought, hey, Rodney King was on video. We got him now, right? Yeah. Uh, everything else no. has been on video. We got him, right? And we did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. So, yeah, anyway. Police responding to the call found Monique in an alley there, still alive but severely injured, suffering from what appeared to be gunshot wounds. One of her wrists still had duct tape on it. She was rushed to North Memorial Medical Center, but she died not long after arriving there. It was later determined that Monique had been shot at point-blank range, twice in the torso and once in the face. Investigators also later determined that John had been shot less than an hour before Monique's murder. Police asked John why someone might have done this, and he suggested that the motive for the killing could have been cash that he'd been flashing on social media after signing a record deal. Well, so what's that all about? Flashing cash on social media. So welcome to Culture Corner. Um, this is just my opinion, and I am open. Black people are not a monolith, but cream. Ever heard of it? Cash rules everything around me by Wu Tang. It's very okay. famous, very famous saying. Cream, get the money. Um, so Momo already had built up some clout with this Nipsey Hustle feature and his performance at South by Southwest. But in hip hop culture, I'm sorry, but in the culture, I guess referring to hip hop culture, before we get locked down, people would do anything for clout because it can get you to the next bag. So you do something, you get some cash, you boast about it, and then people. People see you and notice you and you get more opportunities from it. Okay. Success begets success is what I'm okay. saying. Okay. And the record industry is really predatory. Yeah. And artists get taken advantage of. Right. And Mo Momo Ray ha may have realized that he didn't need the label. And, you know, these people may have been pissed at him because they lost a big fish. And historically, America will permit black people to make a lot of money in very few ways music and entertainment and sports right. sports so if you come from a place where money is scarce but live in a capitalist society to keep your head above water you have to get that coin any way you can so those yeah. were those were my, those were my thoughts on why he may have been boasting about his financial situation on social media okay okay so here's Minnie's, Minnie's thoughts. Okay. Though it may seem like a slim reason to plot someone's murder based on flashing some cash on social media, people just get absolutely insane about money. Don't get me wrong. I'm not blaming John for flashing cash. If you're proud of your success and that's what you want to do with your money, go for it. This is not a judgment of John, but a judgment of the people who do terrible things to other people just for money. And mm. there's a lot of them. Yeah. What I'm saying is that people just lose their freaking minds about money and it doesn't even take that much. Some of the true crime shows that I've watched in the past have centered around people murdering their own family for money. And in some cases, we're talking about what seems like relatively small amounts of money in comparison to what they're willing to do for it, like thousand mm. dollars and sometimes less. Yeah. That are willing to kill their own family members for. 
Mm-hmm. I just can't wrap my mind around that, how a life can be worth so very little to someone else. I think it's one of the reasons I'm so interested in true crime that mm-hmm. I just want to understand how other people's minds work. But after years of watching shows and researching things, I still just can't get it. And you know, I'm not the only one to think about that kind of thing. In mm-hmm. fact, there's an entire song about it called For the Love of Money. Uh, Yeah, so I, I think she's referring to the old one, but there's a hip hop remix version. I don't oh, know. Okay. I don't know what it is, but it's old Whitey's ringtone, and it goes <laughs> for the love of money. Gotta get that. Oh, it's Bone Thugs. Gotta get that money, man. That money, man. That money, man. Uh, gotta get that money, man. For the love of money. Anyway, <laughs> so. <laughs> Thank you, Minnie. We all bring our various perspectives and experiences to these cases, and um, hopefully we're all better for it. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. So back to the story. At one point, the Minneapolis police assumed the crime had something to do with Momo and a drug deal gone wrong. Another possible motive that John suggested to the police was a rumor that he'd been a police informant. He told police that some people thought he may have snitched about something. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, hey, self. Why are they asking the victim of a shooting to supply motives to the shooting of his girlfriend as if he were the suspect? Well, that's an excellent question, Self. (laughs) I'm thinking it's just maybe, maybe because he's a black man and a musician. Criminal first, citizen second when it comes to law enforcement in the United States. Police and news media at the time immediately jumped to the conclusion that this was drug or gang related. Gee, why would they do that? <laughs> oh why my in the world would God, they? God, I hate it here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously he was a black male musician, so that automatically means he's a criminal, mm. likely a drug dealer or a gang member, right? <laughs> oh no! And nothing sells like a story about a black gang banging drug dealer rapper. That's news media gold, right there. It really is. And we have the video club coming up. And that right. is what have I've only watched it once so far, but that's my takeaway is all they they weren't full they weren't the news wasn't talking about how angry the people were, no. why this may have been happening. All the media was focused on there's somebody robbing something. There's yeah. somebody setting something on fire. Crime, 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 crime. And right. I don't know why it's so as I'm doing a true crime po- podcast, why it's so fascinating, but I'm interested in the why. And yeah. That- That's why I am fascinated with true crime, because I want to know why. Yes, yes, yes. But the news, that doesn't really matter to the news because they can make honestly more money and get more clicks by scaring people. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, So news media at the time also suggested that the shooting could have been a contract killing paid for by a friend of John's with whom he had a falling out over that record deal. This poor man, right, John, the yeah. police and news media completely re-victimized him, dehumanized him while he's trying to deal with the shock and loss of his partner and the mother of his children. And not only that, they tried to pile the blame on him for it, like he made these guys shoot his girlfriend right. and himself. Uh, he, he, for God's sakes, he's not that asshole from South Carolina, Mr. Murdoch. he flashed some cash on social media and what the fuck kind of treatment is that of a victim i just am horrified by it yeah 
None of this was John's fault. He didn't make those miserable excuses for humans do what they did. They chose to do that all on their own. And if you Google his name, you'll find some pictures of the beautiful little family, Monique and John, together with one of their babies. What a devastating loss. I think I'm going to use that picture for this episode on our oh. website. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, so at the time of the attack, Cedric Barry was 41 and Barry Davis was 40. They were both more than old enough to know better. I'm sure their frontal lobes were fully formed. <laughs> fully formed, uh, yeah. They knew better than to do something like this. <laughs> uh, so, and and don't bother looking up pictures of them. It'd be a waste of your valuable time. <laughs> so now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest Hit it, Beth. At the scene of John's shooting, police retrieved a number of silver 45 caliber casings, as well as the key the gunman used to enter the home. It belonged to Monique. More 45 caliber shell casings were found near Monique in the alley where she'd been found. Witnesses reported seeing an older, tan-colored Buick drive down the alley minutes before the shooting. A U-Haul truck with Arizona plates, which was spotted near the scene of John's shooting, had also been seen in the area. Police later found Monique's black BMW at the house in the Minneapolis suburb of Maple Grove, where she had gone to show the home to potential buyers. Mm -hmm. There was a single pink press-on fingernail in the car. Using a neighbor's surveillance footage, detectives found that Monique had parked her BMW in the driveway of the Maple Grove home around 3 p.m. on December 31st, 2019. Soon after, investigators said a U-Haul pulled up and backed into the driveway. Two people, who police couldn't positively identify, entered the home and appeared to force Ba out and stuff her into the cargo hold of the truck. Using the video footage and descriptions of the U-Haul truck, police tracked down the U-Haul company where the truck had been rented and were able to locate the truck. They searched it and found zip ties and four pink press-on fingernails, which matched the one found in Monique's car. So the pink press-on fingernails being found in the truck mm -hmm. led to a lot of reports of her being tortured by having her fingernails pulled out. Come on. Um, don't yeah. you guys know anything? Hello. <laughs> you know, we don't know for sure, but we don't think that happened. <laughs> Not one bit. Who wrote these these alleged <laughs> stories, men? Well, just what we were talking about early, earlier, yeah. you know, uh, shock cells. So, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Since they grabbed her after she was out of the car and already at the house, I think a uh, single fingernail popped off before she got out of the car. Um, which happens, you know, a lot. That's yeah. why we keep super glue in our purses. <laughs> she probably slapped them on quickly before heading out to show the house. One popped off in the car and then the rest popped off while she was struggling with her duct tape bindings in the truck. Mm -hmm. It does make for a sensational news story, though, the suggestion that they pulled out her fingernails to torture her. Yeah, exactly. It's sensational. It'll get a lot of yeah, eyes, a lot, a lot of, of a lot of clicks. Yeah. But I was thinking the same thing. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah, bullshit. I bullshit. can't tell you. I've sneezed and a fingernail pops off. Yeah, I mean, it happens yeah. so much. It's hard to keep that shit on. It really is. <laughs> and if you're on a budget, you're trying to like find the one that fell off and, you know, keeping your hands in your pocket so you don't look like a crazy person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't find it. <laughs> um, so the truck rental agreement that the U-Haul company supplied identified the person who rented it as Lyndon Wiggins, a.k.a. Lyndon Swarn, a large-scale drug dealer. Investigators learned that Wiggins had rented the U-Haul for Cedric Berry and was paid in heroin for it. And Cedric Berry's fingerprint was lifted from the tape that bound Monique's wrist. On January 2nd, 2020, Cedric Berry was arrested in connection to Monique's murder, then booked on probable cause of murder. Berry's car was searched by the police when he was arrested. What do you think they found inside? 
I'm going to guess an air freshener shaped like a pine tree or maybe <laughs> a bag of money. I mean, a bag of dicks. Am I right? <laughs> nope. Great guesses, though. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> what they found in his car were two walkie talkies, a black mask matching the one worn by the man who'd shot John, duct tape and 13 pouches of wait for it. Heroin. Whoa, 13 pouches? Oh my 13 pouches. Gosh. Just a little casual duct tape and heroin in the car. No big that deal. Is, that's, a, that's a lot of heroin. So yeah. uh, Cedric Berry was known to police as a convicted drug dealer with a series of convictions stretching back 20 years. He was convicted of manslaughter in 2002 and had numerous past narcotic convictions. He was also previously convicted on assault, robbery, firearms, and DWI charges. Of course, now that drugs were known to have been in the car, even after the arrest of Cedric Berry for committing the shootings, news media continued to brand John as a drug dealer and or gang member who was to blame for this tragedy. Yeah, and sh shame on the news um, and the news media in Minneapolis. Um, I imagine, you know, these are the communities that people are referring to when they talk about, is, is this the flyover states? You know, like when um, w middle America is... Right. White people in, in Minnesota, right? That's included yeah. in who they're referring to. And so just the lack of context and um, nuance that this story deserved. And they yeah. just ran with something completely inaccurate. Yep. For shame. In news interviews, he was put in the awkward position of having to defend himself. Quote, I've never seen that Cedric dude in my life. I don't know him. I really want to clear the air. It's like I murdered her. This has really hurt my heart. Unquote. Mm. That's wow. sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. John had had one conviction of marijuana possession back in 2018 and had a single arrest on marijuana charges in 2014 that was later dropped. Nothing else. No record. None. Mm. He clearly was not involved in serious drug dealing or gangs. Marijuana is legal in lots of places by now and, to be honest, way less harmful than alcohol. Right. News media at the time had a field day with those two incidents, though. Oh, man, that's really um, frust. I, I'm just I'm so mad for him that yeah. he's having to defend himself. Yeah. Um, and they had an opportunity to correct the story, but they didn't. Yeah. John said, quote, they've got me looking like a monster. They have it like I'm in a gang. I don't have a gang life background, unquote. And they also made him look like a monster. But uh, it's almost like, you know, the trope, all black people must know each other. So right, if these right. guys are in a gang. This then other black in a gang. must yeah. know the other ones. Yeah. Um, in a news interview, again, being asked to provide a motive, John suggested that a music industry acquaintance might be behind the targeted attacks because he didn't really hang out with them or want to be part of their crowd. He had a family to raise. Come on. Yeah, yeah. He was busy. Yeah. Quote, I believe this is all because of jealousy and envy. There are people out there that would rather see me dead than successful, even if that means kill the mother of my children. Unquote. Monique was remembered by friends and family as an amazing person, a loving mother and a person who worked hard for what she had, who tried to provide a good life for her children. And I can't imagine the pain John was going through grieving her loss while also having to fend off suggestions that he was somehow at fault for all her death. Yeah. There was a Facebook video from just days earlier on Christmas morning. Mm. In the video, John and Monique watched and laughed as their daughters wearing matching pajamas unwrapped dozens of gifts. That detail really gets you. Yeah. Um, really 
so Lyndon Wiggins, who rented the U-Haul for Cedric Berry in exchange for heroin, was later charged with aiding and abetting the crimes of first-degree murder, attempted second-degree murder, kidnapping, and first-degree felony murder while committing kidnapping. Another woman, Elsa Segura, a former probation officer Uh-oh. and Wiggins's girlfriend, was accused of setting up the fake house showing by using a burner phone to call Monique to lure her to the house. Oh, okay. And a fifth sus- suspect. There's more. This is like a clown car. Yeah. A fifth <laughs> suspect. Shantae Sharice Davis, the wife of Cedric Barry and the sister of Barry Davis, was charged with being an accomplice after the fact for aiding and abetting. She booked a hotel room for them and drove her husband to pick up the U-Haul. Investigators said they believe Momo was the intended victim in a dispute with Wiggins. Momo said that the dispute was related to a music label partnership, saying that Wiggins had accused him of stealing music after he left their record label. So now we're going to get into the trial. So on February 14th, 2020, Cedric Barry and Barry Davis were indicted by a grand jury with first degree murder and kidnapping. Cedric Barry was held on $2 million bond, though Barry Davis had not yet been apprehended at that time. He was arrested four months later in Chicago. Bear Bear were tried together. In June 2021, they were convicted of the premeditated first-degree murder and kidnapping of Monique and of the attempted second-degree murder of John. Um, I wonder why second-degree for John and first-degree for Monique. If they'd succeeded in killing John, it was a similar pre-planned attack, don't you, don't you think? I do, but it feels like there might have been more planning in the Monique part yeah in the john part maybe it's you know i feel like the whole kidnapping of monique was just to get her keys i don't know i don't know yeah i i guess i don't either and you know it's what it's not what really happened it's what you can prove and what might stick and maybe a pre-planned murder of john would be hard to prove especially if john wasn't you're right it's a lot easier to to prove pre-planning with monique you're right yeah so in July of 2021, they were each sentenced. Hang on a second. Did you say I was right? <laughs> okay, so you were sorry. Right. Oh, my God. I just call it like I see it. I just spun around in my chair. So in July of 2021, they were each sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. In court, Barry Davis said, quote, I don't think I'd be convicted of this if y'all watching the same show as me didn't prove me wrong, unquote. Okay, whatever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on a second. <laughs> Hang on a second. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Cedric Barry said, quote, I'd just like to say sorry, something I thought I'd never say. Yet here I sit, a condemned man, sitting in the same seat as Derek Chauvin, And I'm about to get life without parole for a few fingerprints that said they were mine and some cell phones. And I'm considered a monster in the system, unquote. Wow. (laughs) You know, there there is kind of this weird trend with people invoking either the name of Derek Chauvin to uh, or or George Floyd to imply that they have been wronged in some form or fashion by the powers that be or the system. And yeah. it's really gross. It is um, very I gross. I yeah. hate it. 
there was a, a, another recent example. I can't, it was so like awful. I can't even remember what it was, but this is just disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> You yeah. are not, get out of here. Oh yeah. my God. I need to push it again. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. So don't forget the two walkie talkies, the black ski mask and the duct tape and the heroin in the car. Cry me a river. <laughs> it kind of sounds like he's not sorry. If you ask me. <laughs> yeah. And how dare you make comparisons between yourself and George Floyd's murderer Um, and the George Floyd situation. Like he's trying to get sympathy for himself by invoking that infamous case and trying to make himself feel like an angel in comparison to what Derek Chauvin did. Not cool. Half bear. Not cool. (laughs) And and yes, I know that living in this world as a black person and as a black man is difficult. And especially in this particular situation where you're not on the, the, it's not good to be on any side of the law, if you're asking me in this right. particular situation, but you are not the victim. Half no, not at all. No. <laughs> During a victim impact statement, Monique's mother, Wanda, also had something to say. Quote, on December 30th, 2019, I said goodnight and I love you to my daughter, Monique Ba, for the last time, unquote. Wanda talked about Monique's daughters as well, saying, quote, they have to take my word for it because she's not there to tell them for herself. And I know she would tell them every single day. Both of her girls, they say goodnight to her, too, and they kiss and hug her picture, unquote. Mm. Wanda did feel some relief with the sentencing, though it wouldn't bring Monique back. Quote, They will spend the rest of their lives in jail and they won't have an opportunity to do this to anyone else's mother or loved ones ever again. Unquote. In my research, I watched court video uh-huh. and it was really, really hard to watch. Oh, um, I, yeah, one, I have a really hard time watching those. Yeah. Well, just raw yeah. emotion and pain. Yeah, yeah. that's exact. Yeah, it was just pain right before our, our very eyes. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. So now we're going to get into where are they now? Guess who's going to jail tonight? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Forever. The end. Just kidding. Um, I mean, it's true. They are in prison with no possibility of parole. And as Ariana Grande might say, the world has one less problem without them. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They are both currently serving time without the possibility of parole in Minnesota Correctional Facility, Stillwater, a facility that was built in 1914. But there were actually five people involved in this. I don't know what to call it. A disaster of a plot. Yeah. But even worse than that. (laughs) 
Yeah. Both uh, berries, both bear bears still maintain their innocence. What? You guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Well, interesting. So in May of 2021, the former probation officer Elsa Segura, by then age 30, was indicted by a Hennepin County grand jury for setting up the fake house showing. Ugh, I hope she feels so awful about yeah. basically leading everything to death. Yeah, it's <laughs> awful. So she was convicted in September of 2021 of aiding and abetting premeditated first degree murder, as well as charges of aiding and abetting attempted murder and kidnapping. On November 9th, 2021, she was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Wow. I guess her knowledge from working in the past as a probation officer can't help her since she's not eligible for parole. Aww. And I think that might fall under the definition of irony. Look at that. <laughs> Segura said nothing at sentencing. She remained silent. Oh, and I mean, the shame. I mean, she, what a stupid mistake. Stupid. In June of 2022, 37-year-old Lyndon Wiggins was convicted by a jury of aiding and abetting Monique's murder, as well as aiding and abetting attempted murder and kidnapping. Shantae Davis, 40, Cedric Berry's wife and Barry Davis's sister, was convicted of aiding and abetting an offender by helping an accomplice after the fact. Not related to this case, but likely related to Cedric Berry, Cedric Lamont Berry Jr., now a age 28, is currently in federal prison at USP Canaan, a high-security prison. If this is indeed Barry's son, then Barry would have been 16 when his son was born. Junior's childhood could not have been great. That is interesting, and I yeah. think there are statistics out there about parents with criminal history or history with um, being incarcerated and the likelihood of their children also ending up in the system yeah. in the same um, way. Um, not so way to go, Barry. You done fucked up again. <laughs> now, Monique loved being a mommy. And again, if you can, if you are able to like obviously take care of yourself, but if you are able to look at the photo images that are out there of her with her kids, yeah. it is really beautiful. And yeah. Wanda said she was the best mother. And now Monique's girls, legend and legacy, kiss a photo of their mom every day before they go to sleep and sleep with a picture of Monique under their pillows. Mm. So now we're going to get into our takes on this case. What are your thoughts, Beth? Beth. Well, this is a Who's best? Who's best? I mean, yeah. Beth. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a crazy case. Like yeah. how so many people could be involved in a plot like yeah. this and think it's a good idea. What oh the fuck? My God. And it's over like... something so stupid. Yeah. I mean, I am a huge fan of those whodunits, like give me poker face, give yeah. me glass onion knives out. But yeah. this is definitely not as comical <laughs> or no, entertaining no, because no, this is it's real, real life. life. I wish this yeah. was a sh this. Uh, you, it feels like this should be the plot of a movie because of the twists and turns yeah. um, that it involves. Yeah, and and such a beautiful family destroyed mm -hmm. over nothing. Yeah. Since yeah. we didn't find out anything about their backgrounds, uh, the, the berries, mm -hmm. bear, the bear bears, mm -hmm. I can only guess at why they had such disregard for life. I don't mm. really know. It's really mm. infuriating mm -hmm. how John was treated. Yeah. Also, it's yeah. wild that a parole officer started dating a big time drug dealer and then involved herself in this. That's Another TV nuts. plot. Yeah. <laughs> Also, one more take. Had Monique been a white woman, 
this case would have gotten so much attention. Right. Because she was so gorgeous and America mm-hmm. loves beautiful white women. You're and, right. Yeah. And the way they talked about the story would have been different. I, I'm oh, thinking absolutely. about that husband who actually did kill his wife and kids and um, put them in like a container. The and, oil. Yeah, the oil yeah, thing. Yeah, that, that guy. And yeah. everybody was like, oh, Chris, what happened Chris to something. you? Yeah. Yes, they totally. He, no, there wasn't a rush to judgment with, with this family on who could have killed him. But the judgment was already made because these individuals were black right, about right. what happened. And, and I, know, I didn't hear about this story until we started researching. Exactly. I don't remember exactly. when this happened. Yeah. Something we say all too often on this show. Yeah. yeah. Um. So first off, just poor Monique, rest in power. And those poor babies who were present while their dad was almost killed. Nobody deserves that. And they're, yeah. they, you know, they were good, hardworking people and a loving family. And the world lost a beautiful person in Monique. And it's a shame she's no longer here to fill the world with her kindness and be there for her girls and her partner. And so this crime is going to have lasting effects. Also, Barry um, squared <laughs> um, and there and them other heifers who agreed to the murder plot for what? What a stupid yeah, idea. Stupid. They ruined the, they ruined the lives of two little girls, a young father, Monique's family and their own families and have yeah. nothing to show. Nothing. For it. Are, they yeah. are, are nothing. And Stupidest I believe fucking thing. Yeah, I believe there is room for restorative justice in a lot of cases, but I have a hard time giving just how heinous this crime was and seeing any redemption for these yeah murders. but you know who knows this is one where i'd put say put them all underneath the jail yeah um, <laughs> and at the same time we don't know about the barry's childhood as as we mentioned right. but their rap sheet was mentioned by the police which i typically never see as an indication that somebody will most certainly eventually murder somebody else no um, <laughs> It usually makes me think of, I again, wanting to know the why, what circumstances led to that first crime and second arrest and and so on and so forth. Um, And now the Minneapolis Police Department can eat all of the bags of dicks, defund (laughs) the shit out of them. They didn't save Monique. They didn't stop John from getting shot and immediately blame the victim because he was black. And all those news reports, news reporters, news stations get their information from police. So fuck them. (laughs) And for the love of money. uh, Now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So uh, apparently um, the... uh, crime of luring young children into sexually sexually explicit activity um, by predators online is on the rise. Um, So um, I just, it, but with a podcast I listened to this week, uh, and I just wanted to shout out um, how dangerous it is. And a tip is to talk to young people in your life about the dangers of the internet and that any person 
that threatens you, um, threatens to get you in trouble or hurt you if you don't do something they say or hurt your family is tell kids you can't believe those threats. And if somebody makes those threats to let you know immediately. And it's one of those conversations that should occur continuously. Yes, yes. And that's it. Now it's shout out time where we (laughs) shout out any content by people of color or about people of color, any true crime goodies. Just got two true crime goodies, the alphabet boys. You're not going to believe this. But in 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, the FBI infiltrated the Black Lives Matter movement. Oh, my God. They did yeah. it again. Pro is back and Alphabet Boys is a podcast all about it. And also the Bill Russell documentary on Netflix. It's about Bill Russell, who was a professional basketball player beginning in the 50s and 60s. 60s. He started playing before the civil rights movement. Oh, wow. And was an activist like through and through from the beginning he played. He said, you're not going to let me eat in this hotel my team's staying at. I'm not playing any games. I mean, wow. Kaepernick before Kaepernick. Awesome. Was so it's on Netflix. What do you Very got? cool. Yeah. So I just wanted to shout out a show I found uh, just this week called I Escaped My Killer. It's a true crime what? show on Discovery Plus. Okay. And it's uh, focused on the stories of the survivors. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so Discovery yep. Plus? Discovery Plus. Okay, so to recap, our shout outs are Alphabet Boys, wherever you get your podcasts, the Bill Russell documentary on Netflix, and I Escaped My Killer on Discovery Plus. (gasps) Oh, man. All right. Okay, fine. (laughs) Fine. Good thing we're recording tomorrow. So where can the people find us, Beth? (laughs) <laughs> our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors or by giving us a five-star review. It helps. Yeah. Well, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one, the one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. 
a production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network. You can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal.